0: Anybody else pumped up? Man, you watch that and you're like, "Let's go!" Can we give, uh, like, can we like give some energy in the room after that? There we go. For those of you online, do some jumping jacks, run in place, whatever you got to do. I actually just requested right before the service we played. Uh, you know, that to test the audio. And I just texted our team in Brazil, which makes all of our bumper videos. I said, I need the audio. I need to make this available to everybody for an alarm clock. Can you imagine waking up in the morning like, bum, 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 bum. you got to start the day right. You know what I mean? Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Okay. Here's a question. How many of you Uh, are runners. How many runners in the room? You like to run. You find it weirdly therapeutic. You don't even need headphones when you run. I know we got some runners in the room. Now listen, here's the next question. I want to see the hands on this. How many of you wish you were runners? Who has your hand up with me? You're like, I wish. That's my boat. You know, I see a, a video like that. I'm like, yeah, I'm excited. But it takes like a pump up video for me to be like excited about running. Some of you are like, I can't wait to run tomorrow morning. That makes no sense to me. Like running for fun or it's therapeutic or it just helps me out and clears my mind. Like I can only run if I have a playlist that has like builds and beat drops and like is pushing me. Like I run to the music. I have no concept of like pace or any of that. I just run as fast as I can until the music has gone. That's how I run. And I think it kind of goes back to my childhood, and, and some of you maybe will relate to this. I grew up playing team sports. I played, you know, all sports growing up, like many kids. But then in middle school and high school, I played American football and basketball. And in those sports, there's a lot of running. You know, you run in the games, you run in practice. The sport is based around a football, a basketball, and running, and strategy, and scoring points, and all these things. But running itself was a punishment, how many of you remember this? When you did football or you did basketball, other sports, and maybe baseball. In baseball, I don't think they run. It's, you know, it's unbelievable. They stand there, hit the ball. They run for like a second. Sorry, no shame. I know it's like the beginning of baseball season. But it's, baseball is only good from the seventh inning to the ninth inning anyway. If you know, you know. But in, in football and basketball, you would run at the end of the practice. It was called conditioning. So you've been running the whole time, and then as, like, a punishment, if you lost a game or if you had a bad practice, you made a mistake, they'd make you run more. So, like, my whole concept of running is punishment. It's, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. It's to get you in shape, and you have to do it, and if you make a mistake, then you have to run. Some of you out there are like, I, I don't relate with that. I did cross country, and you just, like, love to run. I know, I know there are some people in the church that know, like, the water places around the city. You run so far, you have to know where to fill up your water. That, that makes no sense to me. I, when I run, when I'm thirsty, the run is over. Like, it's done. We're not running anymore. Now, it's interesting. We all relate with running in, in different ways. Some of us like it. Some of us, like me, struggle to see the fun in it outside of health. But we all know that there's different types of runners. Some of you here are marathon runners, your half-marathon runners, your sprinters, your 5K hurdles maybe in the room. Some of you are walk-run, you know. You run, then you walk. Then some of you, I don't know if it's out of style, maybe coming back kind of like rollerblades is power walking. You know that? Remember that back in the day? You see the people like going around like that? That's probably coming back because a lot of you are into sk- rollerblading. That was big back in the day. Everything old becomes new. But every type of, di- of, of race Every type of runner has something at the core of it, and that is you have a starting line or a starting point, and you have a finish line or an ending point. Every race, regardless of whether there's hurdles or it's long distance or it's short distance or it's walk and it's run mixed together, whatever it may be, there's a starting point and there's an ending point, a f- starting line and a finish line. And tonight, we're going to begin a new series over the next seven weeks called The Race. You could tell that from the Runner video, and what we're going to be doing is tracing the life of the Apostle Paul, probably the most famous Christian to ever live. The Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, and we're going to follow his life in the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, written by Luke. This book, Acts, that we'll be in for the next seven weeks, as I said, is written by Luke, who was a companion of Paul on much of his ministry and much of his life. So he has a firsthand account of how Paul lived. Now the reason we're calling this series The Race as we're tracing Paul's life is because Paul himself identifies his life and the Christian life as a race. Many times he compares it to running a race from the starting line to the finish line when the prize is Christ and we are meant to run this race well. So my prayer is that we will see two things over the next seven weeks as we follow Paul's life. First thing is that you will discover the type of runner that God has made you. We're all different. We have different gifts and talents, and we have different opportunities, and we're placed in different locations and different companies and different sections of the city and different friend groups. We're different types of runners, but we're all called to run the same race, but in different ways. So what type of runner are you? We're going to discover that over the next few weeks. Second thing is, what, what part of the race are you in? Right? If the Christian life is compared to a race, then many of us are at different places. Some of us are closer to the finish line. Some of us are in the middle where the adversity is really kicking in. Some of us are in a hurdle race and we just fell over a hurdle. and We're picking ourselves back up. Some of us are at the starting line. We're just beginning or we're approaching the track. We haven't even started the race yet. Where are you at in the race and what type of runner has God made you? Tonight we begin with the starting line. The very beginning of Paul's life of faith. His conversion story. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 9. We're actually going to be in Acts chapter 9 for a few weeks together. If you have the Crossbridge Brickle app, you can always turn there. Click on the notes icon and you can follow along with the passages this evening as well as additional notes as well to help you out. And I want to also share this. If you have our app, Crossbridge Brickle, on any app store, there's another button that says resources. And we placed a book in there that is a book that we recommend that's about the Apostle Paul and his life. So if you want to read more about Paul and you want to learn more and go deeper on your own, I encourage you to check that book out. You can buy it on Amazon. It will be available, I believe, next week in the back as well if you want to purchase it here. So we want to resource you and support you as you run this race of faith or maybe even begin it tonight. So Acts chapter 9, let's read verses 1 through 9. And we'll see this starting line, the starting point for the Apostle Paul. But Saul, now don't get confused here. Saul and Paul are the same person. These names are interchangeable. And we're going to discuss that a little bit later. Why the difference? But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women... hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here at the beginning, we're introduced to this man, Saul. Saul and Paul, same person. And we know that Saul is based in Jerusalem, and we read about what is fueling the race that he is running himself, which is he has intense anger and hatred. It says, murderous threats towards Christians. Now, here he doesn't use the word Christians. It says, people of the way, capital W. See, Christians are not identified as such until later Here, people that follow Jesus are called people of the way, the way of Jesus. Now, this was a title the Christians began to give to themselves, and the society at large began to just take that up as a way to distinguish people that believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead and were following him for their life as people of the way, to separate them from Judaism and other types of faiths. So Paul, or Saul, has these murderous threats in his heart, and he wants to go to Damascus, which is 150 miles away from Jerusalem, to round up people that are following Jesus, imprison them, stone them to death, murder them, whatever it takes. Now, this is not the first time that he's done this. He's actually been doing this in Jerusalem and other places as well. He wants to see the name of Jesus removed from everybody's mouth. This is his ambition. And we see a little bit into the condition of his heart. You see, Saul, who is based in Jerusalem, is not content with driving out the Christians from Jerusalem. He wants to go as far as it takes to remove the name of Jesus completely, all the way to Damascus. So he goes to the high priest, so he has authority behind his mission to Damascus for a letter that will give him the authority to be able to round up these Christians, bring them back to Jerusalem on charges, many of them either kept in prison or stoned to death, which was beginning to take place as the church is being persecuted. So Saul is now on his way with some companions to Damascus, and as he is approaching Damascus, he's blinded with this light. It says that as he is blinded, he hears a voice, and the voice says to him, Saul, Saul. Now the repetition there shows that there's an intimacy or a warmth even in the the voice given to Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now Saul does not know who this voice is. That's why he says, who are you, Lord? Now you have to understand that Saul is a seriously devoted Jew. He has studied the Old Testament scriptures The reason that he is hunting Christians is because he believes that they are a threat to the pure religion that he upholds. And so he recognizes some divine nature in this voice calling out to him. That's why he says, who are you, Lord? He knows the Old Testament that God speaks to people at times. And angels come and speak to people. And so he's probably wondering, is this Jehovah God? Is this the creator God speaking to me? Or is this an angel? Who is this speaking to me? He's blinded. He's on the ground. And he hears, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he responds, who are you, Lord? And then to his shock, the response is, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now imagine that experience. He hears the voice say, I am Jesus. But it's not only that he's hearing a voice. You see, later we read that the companions with him, they hear the voice, but they don't see anything. And the apostle Paul says that on that road to Damascus, when he's blinded with the light, and when God comes to him and and Jesus appears to him, that he actually sees the resurrected Christ. The companions with him don't see anything, but they hear the voice. So in this moment, he is struck. Jesus has appeared before him in a blinding light and has asked Paul a question. Why is he persecuting him? And after this, as he experiences this and Paul will later to refer to this and we'll see this in his story that this is his conversion experience. This is when dramatic change happens in his life. After this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he's blinded and the companions take him to Damascus. They leave him somewhere, presumably alone because he's there for three days. He cannot see and he eats nothing and drinks nothing as well he's alone in his thoughts and probably prayer as he's processing what just happened on this road as he met the very person that he was trying to wipe any memory of on the earth and we'll pick up next week and see what happens when he's there when God sends a man by the name of Ananias to minister to him and coach him and and begin that journey that race that he will start running But tonight we're going to center on the significance of this event, this conversion experience, this starting line moment for the Apostle Paul who meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. You see, here is where Paul, or Saul, comes to faith. But he has not arrived. His faith is very raw. It is very new. It is very immature. In fact, I think he knows about four things right now. Here's what he knows. One, he knows that Jesus is God. He certainly did not assume this before this encounter. He thought Jesus was just a man and was a threat to the God that he worshiped, Jehovah, God of the Old Testament, as he saw it. He didn't understand that Jesus is the God that he worshiped and that Jesus is the Son of God and God is Holy Spirit son and father. He had no concept of this until this moment. He knows that Jesus is God because he recognizes the divine nature of the voice, and he also understands that God has just arrived to him on a road to Damascus. He also knows that Jesus is Savior. You may say, I don't, where did you read that? Well, the Apostle Paul knows what the Christians believe, that Jesus is the Son of God, fully God and fully man, that he died for sins, was buried and resurrected, He thinks up until this moment that is preposterous, and it is also dangerous, and so his mission is to remove that message from the earth. But now he has just met the resurrected Christ. He knows that Jesus is not only God, but he is Savior. In fact, he did rise from the dead. He also knows that Jesus' church, the followers of the way, are precious to God, because you notice That the question that is asked to Saul is, why are you persecuting me? The question that Jesus asks is not, hey, Saul, why are you persecuting the people of the way? It's, why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifies with his people, those who believe in him because they are precious to him. And he also knows that Jesus has a purpose for him. He doesn't know what it is because Jesus says, rise and go to the town and I will tell you what to do. He doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know the race that he's meant to run, but he knows that God has a special and unique purpose for him. This is what he knows so far. He has come to faith, but he has not arrived. There will be a lot of forming that will take place in his life over the next several years and throughout his life as he grows in faith. Remember, the Apostle Paul is not like uh, some superhuman different from us. His faith grows just like ours does. He went through difficulty just like we do. His faith here is not fully formed. It is very new, and it is very immature and God will grow this in him as we will see throughout this series and that is because faith is the starting point of a new life not the climax of a life already lived you see when you come to faith in Jesus it is the starting point you are at the starting line line of a brand new life It is not just like the cherry on top of the life that you've already lived. It is not the climax of the life that you've already lived. It is the starting point of something brand new. And many of you understand this. You've experienced this. You've seen this in your life. That when you come to faith in Jesus, there's a whole new reality before you. And there's large-scale conversion that happens in your life. We talk about that word in the church, and maybe you're familiar with it, like, were they converted or that's when I converted. And oftentimes when people speak of conversion, they mean that the beliefs they had before have been converted into beliefs of another kind. So if you're converted to Christianity, if you're converted to faith in Jesus, that means whatever beliefs you had before, different religion, different thoughts, maybe even just belief in yourself, that was converted to belief in Jesus as Savior, as Lord. And that is true, obviously, to use that terminology for conversion, but The starting point or the starting line of faith, when conversion happens in someone's life, it is so much bigger than just conversion of beliefs. There is more than just spiritual conversion that takes place. There's conversion of friendships. There's conversion of intellect. There's conversion of will. There's conversion of desires. There's conversion even of the very place that you call home. That's what happens in Saul's life. Jerusalem will no longer be his home base. He will have different homes and he will move, God will move him to different places. There's large scale conversion that takes place. And there's another very subtle conversion that I've alluded to a few times already. And I wanna look at this tonight because I think there's so much insight for us, whether you are at the starting line of faith or you have been running the race of faith for a long time. And that is this. Saul experiences a conversion of his name. There's a conversion of his name. As I said, Saul and Paul are interchangeable, but he goes by the name Saul up until Acts chapter 13. Then there is this event that takes place in Acts chapter 13 in Cyprus that changes everything. After this event in Acts chapter 13... Saul is called Paul exclusively for the rest of Acts, and Paul refers to himself as Paul in every single letter that he writes. After Acts 13, he's only called Paul. Why? What happened? Why the conversion of his name from Saul to Paul? I want to look at Acts 13 and give you a little bit of insight to see Why for him and how that speaks to us. So here's what's taking place. Paul is now, or Saul, is now doing missionary journeys. So his faith has grown. We're fast-forwarding his race a little bit. And he realizes that the purpose that God has for him is to go preach the gospel of Jesus, to teach people, and to begin to plant churches in cities all across the Roman Empire. So he goes to this place called Cyprus, and he's with Barnabas, one of his companions. And in Cyprus, they begin to preach, and they begin to teach, and this message begins to kind of move throughout the city and the marketplace, and there's a lot of attention to this message of Jesus and Saul and Barnabas. And then they have this encounter with a man named Bar-Jesus. That's a name, Bar-Jesus. That means son of the Savior, So Bar-Jesus, listen to this guy. This guy is a Jewish self-proclaimed prophet sorcerer, okay? He wants all the titles. Son of the Savior, prophet, sorcerer, give me all the titles, okay? So this man, Bar-Jesus, he's associating with Jesus. He's saying that he's a son of the Savior, but he's also a sorcerer doing kind of magic, and he is a self-proclaimed prophet. He has manipulated the message of Jesus and the message of the way, followers of Christ, and he's made it to something that centers on him. He's Bar Jesus, son of the Savior, a sorcerer, and a prophet. And he's connected himself to one of the most powerful people in Cyprus, the local governor or proconsul named Sergius. And this man, Sergius, who has a lot of power and a lot of authority, he wants to meet Saul and Barnabas and hear this message that he's heard moving throughout the city about Jesus. So he brings Saul and Barnabas to speak with him, and Bar-Jesus is there. It seems as if Bar-Jesus has become some type of spiritual advisor or like kind of close companion to this governor, And so they're there, and Saul and Barnabas begin to share about Jesus. And it says that Bar-Jesus opposes them, meaning the language speaks that he tries to shut them down. Like, don't listen to them. You guys need to stop talking. Take your message somewhere else. We don't want to hear about this message of Jesus. The one that I have, the thing that I'm telling you, that is the right message. Pro-council, Sergius, don't listen to them, tries to oppose them. Tries to shut them down. And stop the message. So then, Saul says something. Acts 13, verse 9 through 12, it says this. But Saul, here it is, who was also called Paul, and is now called Paul for the rest of his life from this moment on, was filled with the Holy Spirit and looked intently at him, that is, Bar-Jesus. And he said... You son of the devil, wow. <laughs> you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. He did not take it easy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And behold, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you will be blind and unable to see for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, the local governor, when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teachings of the Lord. So after this moment, Saul has a conversion of his name. He is now called Paul, exclusively I want you to consider two things. One, and this is oftentimes what you hear, maybe you've heard this before, that the reason that Saul's name is converted to Paul is because Paul is the Roman version of the name Saul. That is right. That is correct. Saul is a very Jewish name. It goes back to King Saul in the Old Testament. And Saul, who is now Paul, realizes that his race that he is to run is to non-Jews, to Gentiles, to Romans, and so he changes his name to Paul to better relate with the audience that he's meant to bring the message of Jesus to. I think that's right, but I also think it's incomplete because he could have changed his name at any moment. He could have made that switch at any point, but he doesn't switch until these events right here, and that is because I believe here in the text we see Paul experience a spiritual awakening of identity. He has an awakening of his new identity. There is a conversion that is happening in his life and in his faith that is more than just his name being changed. And that is because I really believe that Paul sees himself in Bar Jesus. Listen, look at the comparisons here. So first off, they both are opportunistic and they're both seeking influence. So if you look at Bar-Jesus, he obviously is opportunistic, and he's seeking influence. He, he manipulates the message of Jesus and the way, and he makes it about himself. He says that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a prophet. I'm also a sorcerer. I am Bar-Jesus, son of the Savior. By the way, Bar-Jesus is not his given name. He made it up and gave it to himself. So he's trying to manipulate, take, take opportunities for influence and power and authority, and then he attaches himself to the Roman governor, one of the most authoritative people in the land. Where he is. Look at Paul. So Paul, we know before this event when he comes to faith on the road to Damascus, we read about him first when he is there at the stoning of Stephen. The very first Christian martyr is stoned to death. And Paul is there holding the coats of the men that are stoning him. And from that point on, he begins to take up his own mission to stone Christians to death to imprison them, and to remove the name of Jesus from everyone's mouth, he sees an opportunity to be numbered as significant in this movement to remove the name of Jesus, and then he attaches himself to the high priest, who he gets letters from, so he can carry out these murderous threats, opportunistic, seeking influence. Both of them also believe that they're doing holy work. You see, Bar-Jesus has taken up not an easy path, but he's taken up this path through sorcery and teaching and prophetic words that he believes he has to bring this movement to fruition in Cyprus. And he believes himself to be doing something wise. He wants to protect his friend from this message from Saul and from Barnabas. And Paul, the same way, believed himself to be doing holy work. He's protecting the sanctity and the purity of the Jewish faith. And that's why he's removing Christians from the world as best he can. And lastly, they both take great offense at the true message of Jesus. They oppose it and want to divert people away from it. Paul will go all the way to Damascus to do that, and Bar-Jesus will oppose Saul and Barnabas in front of this pro-council to protect him and to divert people away from the true message of Jesus. I read verse 10, which was that kind of strong challenge that Saul gives to Bar Jesus, convicting. But I wonder if, as Paul is saying it, he's thinking it could be said to him too, back in Acts chapter 9. Listen to it again You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Was that not true of Paul as well? Was he not a son of the devil? Was he not an enemy of righteousness? Was he not full of deceit and villainy? He's carrying out these murderous threats, imprisoning and murdering people as Jesus comes to him and says, why are you persecuting me? My people, my followers that I've identified with. It feels really harsh. But you know what's interesting? In this verse, verse 10, it it feels harsh, certainly convicting, but it's full of compassion. Full of compassion. Like, I I didn't see any compassion in son of the devil. Where's the uh, compassion here? Look at the second half. Will you not stop making compassion? crooked the straight paths of the Lord. He offers Bar-Jesus this question, this invitation to change. Will you not stop? You know the message of Jesus. You've heard it. You've, you're called Bar-Jesus now, but you've manipulated it. You've adjusted it. You've centered it around on yourself. Will you not stop making crooked the very straight path of the Lord? When Jesus appears to Saul on the road to Damascus, what does Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He offers him a question, he offers him an invitation to change. Because Saul was doing the same thing. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the prophecies of the Messiah. He knew that the Messiah was to come. He heard about it from Jesus, but he ignored it. He diverted it. He manipulated it. He pushed it away. He made crooked the very straight path of the Lord. And yet God comes to him with a question, compassion, an invitation to change. And then what happens? Paul gives this proclamation to Bar-Jesus. And did you catch it? He says that you will not be able to see for a time. Sound familiar? What happens on the road to Damascus for Paul? He can't see for three days. See, I really I feel as if these stories are connected and that Saul, Paul, sees himself in Bar-Jesus. And even the very proclamations are similar. The offering of a question, an invitation to change, the blindness that was necessary for Paul, and he believes is necessary for Bar-Jesus as well. He sees himself in him. He sees who he was. See, here in this moment, Saul will forever be called Paul. And I believe that's because right here, he sees that he was Saul, but now he is Paul. He was Bar-Jesus, he was the son of the devil, he was an enemy of all righteousness. He was making the, the straight path of the Lord crooked, and yet Jesus came to him with a question, an invitation to change. He poured out his mercy and his grace. Even blindness for those three days was grace to Paul. He needed that to be able to finally see clearly. And so he changes his name to identify with who he is now. He is Paul. He was Saul. But now he's Paul. He has a new identity. You see, it is healthy to remember who you were so that you can live truly and freely in who God has made you to be now. You don't have to change your actual name. Like, please don't just, like, go to the courthouse tomorrow and change your name, okay? Unless you want to, and you can do whatever you want. You don't have to change your physical name, but Saul felt like he needed to do that and become Paul. But there is a change of identity. This is one of the conversions that happens on the race of faith where your identity is converted from who you used to be and what you used to associate with and how you used to see yourself. And one of the things that happens when you come to faith in Jesus is you have to remember that, yes, you may have been previously a son of the devil and an enemy of righteousness and full of deceit and villainy. And you were making crooked the straight path of the Lord, but that is not who you are any longer. You have a new identity. You are beloved. You are a friend of God. You are a son and daughter of God. You are forgiven. You are a receiver of mercy and grace. You're to live in your new identity. You see, at the starting line of faith, you are changed forever. But it's only the beginning of a life of change. A life of change. And one of the things that has to change For us, along that way, when we're running the race of faith, whether we're at the beginning, the middle, or near the end, is oftentimes a change of our name, how we see ourselves, how we identify ourselves, recognizing who we were but who we are now. We all were someone before, but when you come to faith in Christ, you are someone completely new and different now. There's compassion. The Apostle Paul writes this and. 2 Corinthians, a letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 4, verse 6. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Connect that to his experience. Listen to his words. It was God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, the creation of this very world. But he has shown this light in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, there is one thing that is true of every race that is being run for God. You may be a different type of runner and you're going to discover over the next couple of weeks the type of runner that you are. You may be at a different place in that race. But everyone that runs the race of faith has the same starting line and has the same need along the way. And that is to have the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shine into you. The knowledge of Jesus, the understanding of Jesus, the vision of Jesus, the the message of Jesus to shine into your heart and your mind. That is where you start and that is what sustains you along the way. You see, I, I believe that Jesus comes to us in a similar way that he comes to Paul and he even comes to Bar Jesus in Acts chapter 13. He comes to us with a question. Jesus says, I'm Jesus, will you not stop, fill in the blank, denying me, running from me, ignoring me, mocking me, slandering me, misunderstanding me. And every time Jesus approaches us, this is the message of the gospel, that he comes to us with a question, to, where we identify with who we are, and the the, the the person that we are apart from God, will you stop misunderstanding me and rejecting me and running from me? But then he gives an invitation to change, an invitation to receive grace and mercy. And that is in fact exactly what happens with Bar Jesus too. It happens with Paul on the road to Damascus as he starts this new life, this new reality with large-scale conversion that's going to happen in his life up until his name changed too and continuing forward. But it happens with Bar-Jesus. So you read that and you think, like, this guy just got, like, condemned by Paul, you know. He's got son of the devil and then he got struck with blindness. Like, this guy's really having it. But look what it says in verse 11. He says, Paul says to Bar-Jesus, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You're going to be blind for a few days. See, that was necessary for him just like it was necessary for Paul. But the hand of the Lord is upon him. There is compassion here. There is conviction, but there is compassion. And I want to say two things to close. The first is this. We all are at different places in our spiritual journey. The sign on the outside when you walk into Crossbridge Brickle is true that you can belong before you believe. But our desire is for everyone to not only belong to this church, but belong to Jesus, to believe in him. We want to be patient with you. We want to walk with you. We want to listen to your doubts. We want to process with you. But Jesus comes to every one of us, and maybe it's tonight for you. He comes to every one of us, and he says, why are you running from me? Why are you ignoring me? Why are you misunderstanding me? And he gives this invitation to change. The hand of the Lord is upon you. You see, here's one of the things that I know. I know that you can run a race away from God, but you're never actually running away from God. You can run as hard as you want in any direction, making every straight path crooked. But you cannot run away from God. Look at Paul. He's like, I'm going to remove the name of Jesus from everyone's mouth. I'm going to go all the way to Damascus. And... Boom, light, and Jesus appears to him. Life forever changed. You cannot run from God forever. He is there with you. He's asking you a question and giving you an invitation. And you see, you don't have to have everything together, just like Paul, who knows very little. He knows Jesus is God, Jesus is Savior, the followers of God are precious to Jesus, and he has a purpose for me. That is all he knows. He doesn't know any other theology. You know, you read like the book of Romans, you're like, man, he was brilliant, amazing theologian. He knows none of that. None of that. He knows those four things. And yet this is the day of his conversion. It's the beginning of an entirely new reality, a new race to run. That could be you today. I pray that you would receive that, that you would step into that, that you would hear Jesus speaking to you, not with a question of condemnation, but an invitation to change, to experience all that God has for you. And then secondly, for those of you in the room that say, I I have heard Jesus speak to me, I have responded in faith, I have surrendered, I have started this race, I'm at this place, I'm kind of facing these obstacles, but I'm trying to run the race of faith. I want you to see Paul. what happens with Paul when he meets Bar-Jesus, because this happens to you too, and it's an opportunity for you to be formed, and for you to grow in your faith as well. And that is, I believe that all of us have these Bar-Jesus-like instances, we have these moments in our life where we encounter these scenarios and these people, like Paul, encounters Bar-Jesus that brings about a conversion of his name and an establishment of his true identity of who he is in faith in Christ. You have these moments too, often in the forms of people. And here's how you know, okay? Here's what I want you to look for. How, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because everyone's going to raise your hand, okay? You know that when you encounter people, a friend, a family member, a coworker, maybe even someone on social media that you don't know very well. You encounter them and their story, and their beliefs, and their path that they're running after. And when you look into their life, even on a surface level, you see that they are running into harm. They are running. Or they are running after something that is opposed to God. It is opposed to Jesus. It is dangerous. It is hurtful. And you may maybe speak out against them publicly or to them. Or maybe you just feel it personally. You're like, that is not a good path that they're on. But oftentimes, here's what you know too. You know that you were like them. You don't want to admit it maybe, but you know, like you see yourself in them. We see ourselves in people all the time. Their stories, their decisions, their belief, their actions, their lifestyle, their Friday nights we see ourselves in people and then oftentimes what we do is we speak out against them or we feel this like kind of conflict towards them and we miss out on the opportunity for compassion and the opportunity to run after the love of Christ for them and for you see here Paul is being opposed by Bar-Jesus. He's trying to proclaim the gospel to Sergius, the governor. Bar-Jesus is trying to shut them down, and Paul looks at him, and he gives him truth, but with love and opportunity. You know the straight paths of the Lord, Bar-Jesus. Why are you making it crooked? And then he says, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You may not understand it now, but I promise you, I imagine Paul saying this too. You're not going to understand this now, but you're going to be blind for a few days. Believe me, sounds bad, but I went through this too. This is my story. I was like you. I thought like you. I was very much similar to you. And God met me in a very similar way. And he's going to meet you this way too. I believe that Bar-Jesus is a believer in Christ. I believe it. Just like Sergius that we read that came to faith here too. And that is because these bar Jesus-like experiences give us an opportunity to be formed in our faith around our new identity. You see, your new identity, I don't care who you were before, what you've done, what's happened to you, your past, none of that. If you have surrendered in faith to Christ, you have begun at the starting line, and you begin to run the race of faith, you have a new identity. And you should allow these stories and these instances with other people to form you deeply, to give you a heart of compassion towards people and towards yourself. To look at yourself with compassion too. You know, one of the great running movies of all time, Chariots of Fire. Phenomenal movie. Eric Liddell, spoiler alert, Winds of Gold, sorry. In uh, the Olympics in 1920s. And uh, he famously shared with everyone. His faith was known across the whole world. Very devout follower of Christ. Christ said that he ran for the glory of God. That's why he ran. So many sacrifices. That was the race that he was to run. A race actually running and declaring the glory of God to everyone that would talk to him. And he, his testimony has reached millions of people. He has this quote. It's so simple, but it's so true. He says this. If you commit yourself to the love of Christ then that is how you run a straight race. We run and get distracted and we run in different directions. We get sidetracked and we fall down. And we maybe ask ourselves, like, I want to start. I want to keep running. I mean, we have a starting line of faith, but we have these instances where we need to restart. You know, we got to take a water break then restart. And it's not more complicated than just committing yourself to the love of Christ. The love of Christ to you and to other people. You see, that is your identity now. Your name has been changed. You are beloved. You are friend of God. You are son and daughter. You are forgiven. You are set free. You are loved by Christ. Regardless of who you are and who you've been, that is who you are in faith tonight. Would you reset your identity and just run after the love of Christ for yourself and for other people? And use these bar Jesus-like instances to reaffirm that identity in you so that you might run this race well. Amen? Will you pray with me?